Let's bow again. Father, thank you for, again, the privilege we have to be together to worship you and praise you. And Father, I thank you that we have this time to come to your word. And I pray that you would help us understand your word exactly as you intended it, and that we would respond uh, exactly as you desire, so that you'd be greatly glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when you want to do what is right in the Lord, when you want to serve him, you want to obey him, and you want to do what's right, you're going to find that you're going to enter into opposition. Now, we know we have an enemy. We have an enemy, Satan. And Satan and his minions are continually opposing God and his people and thus his work. We know that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against that enemy, And yet within that, Satan uses people to come against, to thwart, to try to shake up, to stop the work of God. Whether it's in your family, God's work, raising your children righteously. Whether it's work, doing uh, your work heartily unto the Lord and not unto men. Whether it's in all that you do, trying to do it for the glory of God. Or whether it's in church, uh, the body of Christ serving him. Satan wants to stop that, and he will use those who do not know him to oppose the work. We've certainly seen that in the book of Nehemiah, the outright opposition of those uh, who went against the Lord and thus his people and his work. But yet sometimes what we don't expect is when that difficulty or those obstacles come from within, come from within. And we need to learn how to respond to situations within the body of Christ, within our families, within these contexts, of how to respond when the obstacles to doing what is right come from within. Well, that's what we're going to see today, how we can keep from being overcome by the enemy's attacks and uh, learning to deal with threats from within. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at the whole chapter today, Nehemiah chapter 5. And you might remember in chapter 1 that Nehemiah has heard information concerning the Jews, concerning the uh, walls of Jerusalem and the gates being burned with fire, the state, uh, a very uh, uh, bad situation. Nehemiah was moved by that, chapter 1, to pray. He prayed for four months, and it became apparent uh, that that the Lord was going to use him to help this situation And within that, he trusted the Lord, he prayed, and what the Lord put on his heart, and he went before the king, because Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. The Lord had put him in a place for such a time as this. And within that, we saw that in these impossible situations, we need to trust the Lord. We need to pray. We need to recognize his superiority over things and apply God's word to the circumstances. And he waited on the Lord, and he was walking with the Lord. And then when the time came, he was ready to wisely and respectfully make his requests of the king of uh, of Persia. And so we have uh, this request in which he makes of Artaxerxes to go help the Jews. And he wisely does so, and Artaxerxes allows him to leave. And he also requested for uh, letters that he might be able to pass through the territories and also for uh, a letter to the king's uh, forest keeper so that he could get the wood that he needed to build. And so Nehemiah went on his way, and God granted those things because the good hand, as Nehemiah said, of my God was upon me. And so Nehemiah was on his way to Jerusalem. The opposition began to form. We heard that Sanballat and Tobiah, they'd heard about him coming. 
And they were very angry, very angry that he would come to help the Jews. A great evil in their hearts, they felt. And then Nehemiah came to Jerusalem. He was wise. He was he secretively, without telling anyone, within or without, uh, that he what he was doing. And he went on and inspected the walls. And he did that. And then he encouraged the people to join in the work to build and repair the walls and the gates that were burned. And upon this, he testified of God's good hand being upon him through what the king had allowed him to do. And then we came to chapter 3, where we see Nehemiah gives an overview of how everyone worked together under his leadership with the right heart to build the wall and repair the gates. And you might remember that as you read through chapter 3, it's really an overview of the whole process. And then in chapters 4 and on, we have more specifics about how things were accomplished. And then in chapter 4, you might remember, we saw one of Satan's attacks and techniques was to use stinging words to cause his servants to be discouraged, the Lord's servants to be discouraged and give up on the work. And yet Nehemiah uh, prayed to the Lord that the Lord would rightly judge those who were doing that, who were discouraging uh, the builders of what God was doing, God's work. And then later on in chapter 4, the last time we were together, we saw that another one of Satan's tactics was to bring about a full assault and saying about Tobiah and the nations were going to bring a sneak attack on them and kill them. And the word got out and God graciously protected the Jews, protected them as the evil enemies conspired against them. He protected them and he was, they were told not to fear or be discouraged, but to fight and work that God would fight for them. God would fight for them. And they did the work with uh, their, their, their shovels in one hand and their weapons in another, knowing that God would fight for them. And now we come to chapter 5, in which we gain more insight into the difficulties that arose within this time in which God was working through Nehemiah and the people to build the wall. And so let's read here chapter 5. Now there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. And there were others who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses so that we might get grain because of the famine. And also there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. And now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers, our children like their children. Yet, behold... We are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters are forced into bondage already. And we are helpless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Then I was very angry when I had heard uh, their outcry in these words. And I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, You are exacting usury, each of you from his brother each from his brother. Therefore I held a great assembly against them, and I said to them, We, according to our own ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Now, would you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? Then they were silent and could not find a word to say. And again, again I said, The thing which you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? And likewise, I, my brothers, and my servants are lending them money and grain, 
please leave us, please let us leave off this usury. Please give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive gardens, and their houses, also a hundredth part of the money and of the grain and new wine and of the oil that you are exacting from them. Then they said, we will give it back and require nothing from them. We would do exactly as you say. So I called the priest and took an oath and took an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. I also shook out the front of my garment and said, thus may God shake out every man from this, his house and from his possessions who does not fulfill this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And they praised the Lord. Then the people did according to the promise. And let's uh, stop right here and we will do the end of the portion after this. But let's take a look at this portion first. So then we've got problems. We've got problems. And they are unlike what we have seen so far in Nehemiah. We have internal problems threatening the work, by the way. Again, it's threatening the work. And there are internal problems with the Jews. And is this not the case within the church at times? There are internal problems within brothers and sisters that threaten the work uh, within the body of Christ. And so obviously Satan will use sinning and deceived brethren or make believers, those within, to attack, to discourage, to distract, to pull us away from the work that God would have us doing. And folks, uh, nothing is new under the sun. Back at this time, the Jews were suffering, uh, and they had, who were suffering because there was a famine, as we'll see. Uh, they had focused their attention on rebuilding the walls. They were working and doing that. And yet, as we'll see in this famine, they were having trouble financially. They were having trouble getting food. And their Jewish brothers were, were not, either not giving them food, or they were giving it to them with interest, or they were actually having them pledge or mortgage their houses, and they were losing their places and having to put their children into bondage because they couldn't pay their debts. Terrible situation. And all this going on within what we had seen so far, the wall being built, and even the external enemies. And now we see some internal trouble. So how do we deal with this internal trouble? Because internal trouble always has one commonality to it. It is sin. And we're going to see that we need to let leaders deal with sin. And we need to make that sin known when it is corporate, that the leaders can take care of it. Notice what happens here. In dire circumstances, we're going to see it's okay to cry out about the so-called brothers who are publicly sinning against you in this situation. We see this here. Indeed, the Jewish people were being sinned against. They cried out, who were being sinned against, cried out about their Jewish brothers' sinful usury and subsequent enslavement. Again, verse 1, Now there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, We, our sons, our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. They didn't have any food, Right? And there were others who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our homes, that we might get grain because of the famine. Also, there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on on our fields, on our vineyards. And now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers and our children, like their children. Yet behold, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters are forced into bondage already. And we are helpless 
because our fields and vineyards belong to others. There's some big stuff going on here within the, within the inside, within the Jews. Remember, they had all come at one time, and there were certainly people who had been born to them within that time, but had come from the exile and had come back to, first of all, build the temple foundation to build that, to rebuild it, and then here to rebuild the walls and the gates. They had come back to serve the Lord. And we have internal problems here. So then this is a bad scene. This is a bad scene. Realize what's happening. There's famine. People need food. And apparently, as we will see, the wealthy Jewish nobles and rulers uh, were lending food and money at interest. And they were foreclosing on people's property. They were enslaving, selling off, having to slave, sell off their fellow uh, family members to pay the debt. This is not good to have food just to live, just to live. And so we have our passage. Now there was a great outcry a great outcry from the people and from their and their of their wives of their jewish brothers the term outcry is pretty clear term outcry uh speaks of of a, of a of a crying out and it was a great outcry and this is not good and this is not sanballat and tobiah by the way this is not the nations the arabs the philistines the moabites this is their brothers Jewish brothers, they are, would be those who named the name of the Lord. It would be like in the body of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, having these difficulties, having these difficulties, and it's not good. Now, the nobles were of a higher class of wealth, obviously, and the rulers were those who had authority, but what links them both together is they obviously had enough money to endure the famine, but also to then loan it out at interest to their Jewish brothers and sisters. But why the outcry? First of all, notice verse 2. For there are those who said, We, our sons, our daughters, are many. Therefore, therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There was some hoarding of the grain. They weren't even having able to get it. It seems like they weren't able to get it unless they were to do this deal and get, have interest on it and to, to, to mortgage things. There was a, 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 an inability to get the grain. We can't get it. We can't get it. That's the first outcry. We, our sons, our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. We're going to die. I don't think any of us have ever had a situation where we were starving to the point where we were about to die and we needed food. Now, remember, this is at the same time that they are working together to build the wall, that 52 days. And so apparently the majority of the people didn't have grain because the rulers and nobles apparently uh, were unwilling to give it to them or whatever it might be, even maybe even sell it to them apart from the evil way they were doing. Notice in verse 3. And there were others who said, we are mortgaging or pledging is the word, mortgaging or pledging our fields, our vineyards, our houses that we might get grain because of the famine. We are so hungry, we're mortgaging our house to get food. We're mortgaging our house to get food. Because of the famine, they were pledging their houses. Mortgage is a, that is a pledge there. We see that. Mortgaging is a pledge. Um, and if you don't pay back, guess what? You lose your house. You don't pay back, you're, you're in trouble. You mortgage your house, you don't pay it. It's someone else's, right? It's to the person you mortgaged it to, Right? And so here we have people, notice verse 4, also there are those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields. They didn't have enough money. They, they, they borrowed money for the king's tax, and they're in trouble. 
And this all seems to relate to the fact that these nobles could have helped everyone, but they weren't helping them apart from doing it at interest and apart from making a buck from them and apart from, as we will see, very selfish attitude that reveals a lack of fear of God in relationship to their brothers and sisters. And then to top it off, notice verse 5. And now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers, our children like them. We are Jews. We're not the nations. We're not foreigners. We're Jews. And he says here, and now it says, um, get behold. Take a look. We are forcing our sons, our daughters are to be slaves. Some of our daughters be forced into bondage already. And we are helpless because our fields and vineyards have become others. They lost their fields. They lost their vineyards. And they're still asking for the money that's owed. What else do they have to do? They have to sell in those who are able and capable of working, which are the young. They're in a deep, deep, difficult situation. So then here, there's a great outcry. And it's a righteous outcry, by the way, as we will see. Because what these uh, leaders and rulers were doing was sin. And it was obvious. It was corporate. It was corporate sin against those in the body of Christ. And you could see it. It was outright. And so we have a great outcry concerning the great sin in the camp. You know, God had made it clear concerning these things. God had made it clear how we are to love one another. We're to love God and love his people. Everything is summarized in that. In the law, you see... And you have to have a changed heart to do that. Turn to Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22. Exodus 22, verse 25. If you lend money to my people, to the poor among you. You know, it's not just someone saying, hey, can I get a loan? I'm, I want to go help get a car or whatever it is. These are people who are poor and in need of money to eat. If you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you are not to act as a creditor to them. You shall not charge them interest. That's pretty clear. That's pretty clear. Turn to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus 25. Now we're going to see in Leviticus that when someone is using usury like this, it is an evidence they don't fear the Lord because they are unloving towards their brethren. They are self-centered towards self and aggrandizing themselves financially. Leviticus 25, verse 35. Now in the case of a countryman of yours who becomes poor. Now there are principles for us in the body of Christ too, just by the way, as we read these Old Testament passages, okay? Uh, becomes poor and his, means, uh, and his means with regard to you falter, then you are to sustain him. How about that? You're to take care of him. Uh, like a stranger or a sojourner that he might live with you. Do not take usurious interest from him, but revere or fear your God, that you, your countrymen, may live with you. You shall not give him your silver at interest, nor your food for gain. Mm, what's going on back in our passage, right? Certainly that's what's happening. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. Now, it's important to realize this is the land God promised, and they're actually taking away the land that was their inheritance, by the way. A lot of sin involved, by the way. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. And if a countryman of yours becomes poor with regard to you, that he sells himself to you, you shall not subject him to a slave's service. Oh, 
He says, he shall be with you as a hired hand. And if he were a sojourner, he shall serve as if he were a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. Every seven years, all the things, deaths were cleared. Okay, he says here, uh, year of Jubilee. He shall go out, he shall then go out from you. His, he is sons with him and shall go back to his family that he may return to the property of his forefathers. For they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They are not to be sold in a slave sale. You shall not rule over him with severity, but you are to revere your God. Now we saw here that they were having to sell themselves to the nations in slavery so they could pay off what's happened, their debt. Later on, we're going to see that Nehemiah has been buying them out of the nations. And how ironic is that? I'm buying them out and you're selling them to them, right? We're going to see a total difference in attitude towards God's people, towards God's people. Uh, but it has to do with, but you are to revere or fear your God. Our sin is based around a lack of fear of God, by the way. We need to fear God. God loves his people. And if you mess with his people, he's going to be on you, all right? Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. How about Deuteronomy 23? Deuteronomy 23. This is a pretty clear principle in Scripture, by the way. And evidently, Nehemiah hadn't heard of it because he's outraged when he does hear about it. He hadn't, underst- he hadn't known that this was going on, evidently, because when he would found out, he dealt with it right away. Dealt with it right. That's why you've got to make things known, by the way, as we'll talk about that. That's why you've got to make things known. Deuteronomy 23, verse 19. You shall not charge interest to your countrymen, interest on money, food, or anything that may be loaned at interest. You may charge interest to a foreigner, but, but to your countrymen you shall not charge interest, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land that you are about to enter and possess. Uh, Deuteronomy 24.10, I'll read this. When you make your neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not enter his house to take his pledge. You make a deal, you don't take his house's pledge. You don't say, great, I will loan you money, but you got to put your vineyard up. you got to put your house up. No, very wrong. Very wrong. So then here, we see it has to do with a fear of the Lord. A fear of the Lord. And so Nehemiah uh, is hearing this, and he is outraged. He's outraged of this great outcry. He's, we're going to see in a moment, he is very angry. Now, this makes you think about something. These people doing this, and it's so contrary to God's word, where are their hearts at? Are they believers? Well, they name the name of the Lord. Later on, they're going to respond. But uh, there's some passages that make us wonder about where someone is when they do certain things. Turn to Psalm 15. David's going to say, who is the one that's going to dwell on your holy hill? The people that don't do these things. Because they're changed, right? Because they believed in the seed of Abraham. Jesus Christ, who was to come. Psalm 15, a psalm of David. O Lord, who may abide in thy tent, who may dwell in thy holy hill, he who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does he does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take, nor takes up an approach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised but honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest. Okay? 
He does not take a, take a bribe against the innocent. He does not. Uh, he, he, he who does these things will never be shaken. He's implying that, hey, you know, if these guys are, that's their character. Something's really wrong. Because the ones who are gods don't do this. Well, so we don't know where the hearts are of these lobels and these people. But we know what they're doing is like those who don't know Christ, right? Those who don't know the Lord. Uh, look at uh, Ezekiel chapter 18. In Ezekiel, this was just before, as they were being exiled to Babylon. This just of generations before. You know, probably about 170 years, 180 years, maybe 200 years from there. 70 plus the years that they'd been back. Now, God was making it clear that these are the type of people he's going to judge. These are the ones that judgment is coming for. And he's going to explain. Ezekiel 18, verse 8. If he does not lend money, this is the good ones. If he does not lend money on interest or take increase, if he keeps his hand from iniquity, if he exercises true justice between man and man, if he walks in my statutes, my ordinances, so as to deal faithfully, he is righteous and he will surely live. Hey, no judgment coming here. One of the issues was taking interest usury. That's a big deal because it shows (coughs) that you have a lack of love for your brothers and sisters. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. So then, these rulers and nobles um, identify with the Lord. They are Jewish brothers. They've come, evidently, uh, to do God's work. (coughs) But they're acting like those who do not know the Lord. They're acting like those who do not know the Lord. And therefore, there is a great outcry, a great outcry against them against them, a crying out concerning this injustice and sinfulness, this lack of fear concerning the Lord. <coughs> now, folks, um, this assumes for us, now, there's, there's, there's nothing new, right? Should there be an outcry for us if there's things like this? Yeah, I believe there's a principle here. Uh, certainly, uh, in the New Testament, uh, these are not. These would not be people who are simply caught in a trespass. Galatians uh, chapter six. They're not people who are sinning that no one else really sees. And you're going to go in private. You're going to hopefully win them, you know. And then you have to take two or three if they don't. You don't have to share that also. This is open and outright sin about uh, publicly uh, to the whole body of Christ. You see, and it's it's clear. It's wide open. It's outright. It's being done. You might remember the Apostle Paul had to rebuke Peter in public, in public concerning his sin in Galatians chapter 2 when he was aloof with the Jews from the, from the Gentiles. He had to be reproved. No process there. Public sin, just, hey, stop it, man, you know, in a sense, right? And we're going to see the same thing here, the same thing here. So then, in dire circumstances from our passage, it appears it is okay to cry out, concerning brothers and sisters, so-called brothers and sisters, who are publicly sinning against you in this sense. I think that's part of the principle we see here. Nehemiah is not going to say, hey, guys, why did you cry out? Uh, you should have gone back to the law. Remember, you have one witness, then don't take it, and there's two witnesses, Deuteronomy. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. The outcry is clear. It's clear sin. It's right in the face, right? It's right in the face. So then, notice that uh, in the context of this outcry, 
we need to then let godly leaders do their job in Christ. Notice what Nehemiah does. He confronts the situation. He responds to the outcry and then wisely, now he wisely contends with the nobles and the rulers. He does it in a wise way. Verse 5, Then I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words, very angry. And I contended, or excuse me, I consulted with myself. We'll talk about that, an interesting statement. And contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, you are exacting usury, each from his brother. He contended with them. So Nehemiah here, the first thing he does, notice he was very angry. This is a righteous anger. He was greatly angered at the injustice of what was happening this is a righteous anger. This is a great sin that reveals a lack of a fear of the Lord. Verse 9. And again, I said, the things you are doing are not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God? Right? It's a great lack of fear of God. And later on, uh, the, Nehemiah would talk about not laying burdens on the people as the governor because he feared God. Because he feared God. Verse 18. So then... He's very angry. He's very angry. And Nehemiah also would share that he had lent money and grain, but not an interest. Not an interest. Verse 10. So Nehemiah cared about the people. He was concerned for them, and he did good to them. And so he was greatly angered about those who were doing evil to them, especially within the uh, group of Jews. Then I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. There's a righteous anger, but it only lasts for a little bit, folks. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You'll see Nehemiah doesn't act in an angry way after his initial anger at all. He doesn't do that. Very angry. We know from Ephesians 4.26 that we are to be angry and not sin. We're not to let the sin go down on our irritation even, and our irritation. Is there a Kleenex here somewhere? So then, uh, we know that we're not to let the sun go down on our anger. Uh, we're not to give Satan a place. But there are times when there is sin and it's going to make you angry, righteously angry, and then you've got to give it over to the Lord and trust him with it. And trust him with it. So then, uh, he had a righteous anger. He was very angry because his brothers were being severely sinned against by his own Jewish, by their own Jewish brothers. They were exacting usury, usury. And Nehemiah was a bat, was mad concerning the sin. How could you treat them that way? We'll see, in a sense. And notice what he does. And this is very important for us to see. Then I was very angry when I heard the outcry, when I, when I heard the outcry and these words, and I consulted with myself. <laughs> I like that. He consulted with himself. Uh, Nehemiah thought about it. You know, that's one of our problems. When something happens, we get irritated or angry. Maybe it's a righteous irritation or angry, and we got to let it go. We don't consult with ourselves. We don't think about it. We just go out and do something. Nehemiah consulted with himself. The term speaks of receiving counsel or advice. You know, you've you ever talked to yourself? You know, we do every once in a while. We have that little conversation there in a sense. You know, and obviously Nehemiah is a godly man, and uh, he is 
certainly, I believe, praying about this, as we'll see later. So he consulted with himself. He, he thought about it first. And by the way, that's really important, really important to think through things when something has come across you that has angered you. Think through it. Pray about it. Don't run out and do something right away. Think through it. And he consulted with himself. And here, Nehemiah is the leader. He's the governor. He is their uh, leader uh, th- uh, theologically, in a sense, in a, in a sense, but also he is their leader uh, governmentally here also underneath the uh, king. So he thought it over. He thought it over before he acted. We can learn from this. Think things over. Pray about them before you act. It's so easy on impulse to just act. Don't do it. Learn from Nehemiah. Think it over. Think it over. Think it over. But then after thinking it over, notice what he did. I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles. Well, we're not to be contentious, are we? No, we're not. But this is a righteous contention. This is a righteous contention. Contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, you are exacting usury each from his own brother. He just clearly steps out right away and shares what the sin is. You're exacting usuries from your brother. This is sin. He contended with them right away. You guys are sinning. It's emphatic. You are exacting usury. So the first thing Nehemiah does in his contending with them is exposes the sin that we've seen in those, in those passages in, in Exodus, in uh, Deuteronomy, in Leviticus, right? He confronts it. But then, notice, he also, within this, was very wise in how he brought together everyone to address it. He was very wise. He says there, each brother, and then notice what he says, Therefore, I held a great assembly against them. I called everybody together. I called everybody together. Nehemiah is the governor, and he gathers everyone together, a large, gadol, great assembly. And it's quite instructive and amazing how he does this, because there are times... He doesn't just go out and this, 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 and this, and this to them. He identifies with part of their motives, but then shows where they're wrong. It's very interesting. He's very wise in how he does this. And notice verse uh, 8. And I said to them, We, according to our ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Hey, you know what we've been doing? Nehemiah and his associates, they've been using their money to buy Jews out of the nations. This is what we've been doing. He very wisely shows the right heart before he dresses the wrong heart. And he has a foundation to show from his own example. And that's what the end of the chapter is about, by the way. That's why we'll get to that at the end. 15 to 19 is all about Nehemiah's example, which is a platform for then confronting and doing the right thing. You see, if you're sinning in the same way, you have no platform to confront anybody. If you're sinning, you need to be righteous and walking with the Lord that you can come alongside because God is doing the right thing through you that you can expose and teach and instruct in those situations. He says here, we, according to our ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Now would you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? How ironic is that? I don't think he understood before or he would have been outraged that maybe some of the brothers that he's buying back were actually sold because of the Jewish brothers who were exacting usury. He's, would, would you do that now that we're going to buy them back? It's crazy, right? That they may be sold to us. And what's their response? Then they were silent and could not find a word to say. 
Pretty clear, pretty straightforward. Big sin, big sin. And Nehemiah had a platform to share, had a platform because of his righteousness, because of his doing good to them, by the way. It's a big principle for our passage today, that when you do good and you do the right thing, it gives you a platform to do what is right to help those who are being sinned against, by the way. Okay? Those downtrodden. So he says the things, notice what he says. And again, I said, the thing which you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? Now he's bringing it out. Hey, there's consequences. Shouldn't you fear what you're doing is not good. Shouldn't we fear God because of the reproach of the nations? We're Jews. Uh, we, we, we serve the Yahweh, the Lord of the universe. And the nations are probably reproaching. Ha, ha, ha. They're selling them and they're buying them back within themselves. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, shouldn't we fear God? Shouldn't we fear God? He's, he's pulling the veil right off of their sin, right? The approach of the nations. It's so sinful. Remember in Leviticus, they were told not to take usurious income, but to fear or revere the Lord. Fear or revere the Lord. So God is a good God who will make things right. And you better not mess with his people. You need to revere him and fear him and thus treat his people righteously. Think about brothers and sisters around you. Fear and revere the Lord. Treat them rightly. Very serious thing. You see, this selfish and greedy sin of usury was was with one's brothers and sisters. And it revealed a self-love rather than a love for the Jewish brethren. It revealed a lack of a fear of God. And when you are treat your brothers in Christ or sisters in Christ this way, you're revealing a lack of love, but a large self-love and a lack of fear of God. Now, uh, Again, now notice the wisdom of Nehemiah as he continues. There's a lot of wisdom in here that we can learn from. Verse 10, And likewise, I, my brothers, my servants, are lending them money and grain. Hey, likewise. He's identifying with the bad guys at this point. Very interesting. But he's identifying with the right part of what they were doing, not the wrong part. You see? It's okay to lend them grain. It's not okay to charge them interest. So he's identifying, likewise, we're lending grain. He's, he's actually, it's very wise how he comes upon them. He is not putting them at, at, a, at, a, at a distance. He's identifying with them in this context. He's explaining the right thing, right? But what does he say? But let us leave off this usury. Stop it, right? Very wise in how he confronts them. We need to learn from this. To learn from this. Very wise in how he confronts them publicly, Publicly, very wise. Let us, please let us leave off this usury. He's almost identifying himself as someone's doing it, but he's not. Let us, let's not do this, brothers, right? Very wise. Brothers and sisters, let us love one another, right? You know, we need to do it, okay? You know, this. what came to mind here was Proverbs 25, 12. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. He is wisely reproving them here. He is wisely reproving them. So notice what he says. He continues here. Please, verse 11, give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, also a hundredth part of the money and of the grain, of the new wine and of the oil that you are exacting from them. He's like, hey, here's the solution. Make it right. Give them back their land and their property and all their stuff and give back the interest that you took from them. 
Give it back. Give it back. Don't just stop being a creditor, but actually make it right. You know, sometimes we say, hey, uh, with our children, whatever it might be, stop doing that. But we don't show them and teach them what they need to do to make it right. you got to make it right. Make it right. So he says here, and so how do they respond here? Verse 12. Then they said, we will give it all back and require nothing from them. We will do exactly as you say. Praise the Lord, right? Now, Nehemiah could have said, hey, great, let's all go have a wonderful uh, meal. Let's, you know, well, I don't have much food, but let's go have some fellowship, whatever it might be. Let's do that. But Nehemiah doesn't do that. Nehemiah doesn't do that. He actually, he holds them to their word in front of everybody. Notice what he does. Verse 12, the middle of verse 12. So I called the priests and took an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. I also shook out in front of my garment and said, Thus may God shake out every man from his house and from his possession who does not fulfill this promise. Even thus thus may he be shaken out and emptied. This is not only just a leader, this is a spiritual leader saying there are consequences if you don't hold to what you are agreeing to do. You need to do it. You need to do it. It is very important. Or God, may God do this to you. And so then, serious stuff. Nehemiah, the the leader here, um, he's also their spiritual leader in a sense. And he shares these principles. Fulfill your promise that you may not be shaken up and emptied. Fulfill your promise. And then notice how the assembly responded, middle of 13. And the assembly said, Amen. That's awesome, right? It's okay to say amen. Amen, right? (laughs) They said amen. And what? And they praised the Lord. You know, when people do the right thing, praise God. Now, we don't know their hearts. We're not the heart inspectors. Uh, But we see something like this. We need to praise God. We need to praise God. We need to praise God when people are doing the wrong thing and they choose when confronted to do the right thing. If your children are doing the wrong thing and you're addressing them and they do the right thing, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so they're praising the Lord here. Amen, so be it. And they praise the Lord. This is awesome. He confronted their sin wisely. And through this, he was able to do good to the people. Nehemiah is one who's doing good to them. He is doing good. And so what happens? Uh, Verse 13, they actually do it. The end of it. Then the people did according to this promise. They did it. Praise the Lord. That internal problem that threatened the work of God, taken care of. Because they cried out, and Nehemiah addressed it righteously. And I think one of the principles here is let your leaders address sin. Let them address it. Let them do it. It's for the good of the body of Christ. It's for the good of the body of Christ. So praise God for their response. So how can we keep from being overcome by the enemy's attacks from within? We do need to speak up at times about outright sin, as we'll see. And we need to trust the leaders to come along and address that sin in a wise and godly manner for the benefit of those who are being sinned against and oppressed. And then lastly, I think we need to realize that we can't do this. We cannot do good unless we've laid a foundation of doing good in the past, unless we have a reputation that is righteous, that we could do these things, as we'll say. Notice here, in uh, the last portion of these verses, 14 and 19, Nehemiah is going to give 
an overview of his testimony, in a sense. And this testimony is going to reveal that he had a platform because of his previous doing good to step forward and address these situations righteously. And as I mentioned before, if Nehemiah had been taking usury, how could he uh, tell them not to, to do it, right? If, if Nehemiah had been uh, doing anything like that, you know, or even if he hadn't even been buying them back, that was helpful, doing a good thing, buying back those slaves, helpful in exposing the sin and hypocrisy of the other people. So God uses what we do as a platform for further good. Good. So then, let's take a look at verse 14. Moreover, from the day I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah... Now, he was appointed. Uh, he was given the position to be the governor there, and he was. We'll see for 12 years. But he did not take the perks of governor, by the way, uh, because of the, the people starving. He says here, From the 20th year and to the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, for 12 years, neither I nor my kinsmen have eaten the governor's food allowance. The governor could have whatever he wants. You could have everyone starving to death, and the governor had this huge food allowance. He'd be just fine, and all his entourage could have all they wanted, right? He said, I didn't take it. I didn't take it. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants domineered the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God, right? And I also applied myself to the work of the wall. And did not buy any land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were, there were at my table 150 Jews and officials besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. He's saying, we actually fed a lot of people. We actually fed a lot of people. Now that which was prepared for each day was an ox, six choice sheep, and also birds were prepared for me. And once in ten days, all sorts of wine was furnished in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the governor's food allowance because of the servitude. The servitude was heavy on the people. Remember me, O oh my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Very interesting. So here, uh, as we see here, we have these six more verses here where Nehemiah begins to explain something. He begins to give us a picture into his integrity that was a basis for being able to confront this sin and do good for the people. You know, if you're not walking in integrity, God can't use you. You've got to be clean. You've got to be right. You've got to be right with him. You need to confess. There are things in your life that are not right. You're not walking in integrity. You're not going to be able to be in a platform to do good to the people because there's not good happening in your life. And Nehemiah is giving us a really great principle here. The foundation being that he feared the Lord and did good was opposite of those nobles and rulers, which enabled him to confront them. Uh, verse 14, Moreover, from the day that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, 20th year to the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, for 12 years neither I nor my kinsmen had eaten the governor's food allowance. Nehemiah was also the governor of that area. He was appointed that, and he didn't take the perks that would actually uh, stain his testimony and be that which was hurtful to those who he was governing, right? Those Jews. 
Nehemiah understood the people were in need of food, and he limited himself, he and his kinsmen. And he also uh, did not uh, want to be a burden on them. You think about this, you don't want to be a burden on them. You don't want to be a burden. Look at what he says here, verse 15. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine, besides 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants domineered the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of the Lord. Boy, we could learn from this. Nehemiah feared God, therefore he loved God's people. He feared God. He didn't want to hurt God's people. He didn't want to sin against God. You know, if you fear God, uh, sinning against him is, is something that you don't want to do, right? The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, right? To depart from evil, right? We, we fear him, we revere him, we recognize that he sent his son to pay the penalty for our sins. Sin is a very big issue. And we turn and desire to do what is right. He acted based on the fear of God. So how about you? The next time you're ready to treat a brother or sister badly, speak injuriously, be angered towards them, to malign them, to not help them, fear God. Fear God. Because God gave his son for them and he loves them very much and you better treat them with from a changed heart or maybe you don't have a changed heart. Or you don't. So notice, instead of getting the perks of being the governor uh, for the sake of the Jewish people during the famine, he focused on the right things. Notice what he focused on. Verse 16, he says, And I also applied myself to the work on this wall. He could have been all about the business of being a hotshot politician, enjoying all the perks of politicianhood, right? What did he do? He applied himself to the work on the wall, that which God had brought him there for. So I did not buy any land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. He's like, we were here to do the work. We weren't here to make a buck off the people. Guess what? Goodbyes in Israel right now. People are starving. Not good. Not good. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. Nehemiah was not aggrandizing himself to make a buck uh, in the current financial crisis of the, of the famine or climate of the famine. He was about God's work and God's people. Therefore, he didn't buy any land. And even though it was pretty cheap because they were starving, uh, he, the rich could make a buck, but at the cost of a brother. And Nehemiah would not do this because he feared the Lord. But the nobles and the rulers were doing this, were doing this. Uh, riches are a trap, brothers and sisters. Be very careful. Uh, uh, just desiring to have money uh, is that which can plunge you into many a pang and can lead to ruin uh, in your faith, right? Um, be content with what you have and be concerned about who are around you and care, care for them. Nehemiah feared the Lord and he was about God's work rather than making a buck for himself. He could have done it as the governor more than these other rulers, but he didn't do it. And therefore, he had a platform to protect the people, to do good to them when others were doing evil to them. Then notice verse 17. Moreover, there were, there were at my table 150 Jews and, and officials besides those who came to us from the nations who were around us. Now that which was prepared each day was one ox, six choice sheep, uh, and also birds were prepared for me, at, and at once in ten days all sorts of wine, and it was furnished in abundance. 
Yet for all this, I did not demand the governor's food allowance because the servitude was heavy on those people. Hey, I had a lot of people that I actually served food to. And I didn't demand the governor's food allowance because he was aware of the people suffering the servitude of that. He was aware. He was aware. He feared the Lord, and thus he loved God's people. He loved God's people. And that leads to the last sentence of this chapter. Notice what he says in verse 19. Remember me, O my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. He's saying, God, remember what I've done. Show your favor upon me. My heart has been right to help your people. I've wanted to do it rightly and help them. Remember me for good, for good. You know, you can pray something like that when you're truly serving God and you're truly serving his people. You truly want the best for them. You're giving yourself for them. You're considering them as more important than yourself. Remember me, oh God. And God will do that. He'll bless you to be able to do more for them, to do more for them. Remember me, oh my God. Remember me, oh my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. He's not bragging. He's just telling the truth. He's done a lot for them, and he's done it for their good because he feared the Lord, because he feared the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we need to be aware of our brothers and sisters and their needs uh, in in a right way. We need to see them as more important than ourselves, not be selfish, but fear the Lord. Now, we don't have a lot of famine here, but there are a lot of other needs a lot of other areas that we could come alongside and, and give our time to help others in the context of the body of Christ, to encourage them, to build them up, to, to come alongside whatever it might be. And these actions of good towards the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ are a platform to do more good, platform to do more good when God brings those circumstances around. Nehemiah acted based on the fear of God. How about you? Again, the next time you're ready to treat a brother or sister badly, whether it's a spouse, whatever it might be, or a child or someone else, whether it's to speak injuriously, be angry, malign, unrighteous anger, malign, or to not help them, fear God. Fear God. I want to close with uh, Philippians chapter 2. Let's turn there. If there is any encouragement in Christ and the way this is written in Greek, is the answer is yes. If there's any consolation of love, and the answer is yes. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, and the answer is yes. If there's any affection and compassion, and it is yes. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each one of you regard one another as more important than himself. Those Jews would have not taken usury if they saw their brothers as more important, right? They loved them, right? He says here, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. 
Fear the Lord, obey the Lord, and it's going to manifest in doing good to his people, doing good to his people. And that will lay a foundation for further good. So how can we avoid the, the pitfalls and the snares of Satan's attacks from within? We need to fear the Lord. We need to do what is good towards one another. And that is how we can be protected from these internal uh, obstacles to the work of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this lesson today from your word. Lord, I pray we would be instructed by it. I pray we would tie the fear of you with how we treat one another. I pray we would remember that. And we would fear you in how we treat each other, that we would love one another that we would consider each other as more important than ourselves, that we would be concerned not only for our own personal interests, but for the interests of others. I pray we would have a mindset uh, like your son Jesus that uh, did not consider equality with you a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, becoming a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He was obedient to your will to the point of death for us and for you. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. And Lord, help us have his mind and his heart towards one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Well, John, could we uh, sing together, um, Have Thine Own Way?